And I literally said to her, if this is how you're treating your female patients, shame on you. And I am now speaking for every woman that is a client in that office and any other office on this planet right now. Because if this is how I've been treated and I've been willing to speak up and speak up on something that most women are told by commercials, oh, just wear a pad. Oh, just wear a diaper. Oh, just wear this and go on with your life. How many women are walking around taking themselves to the pharmacy and doing just that and don't know that they're walking around with a life-threatening disease potentially? How many? And how many, because they're too embarrassed or because they've been blown off and told that this is what women go through, that they are literally being pushed aside. And I said, so now it is your responsibility to align me with the best gynecological oncologist you can get your, you have points of reference to. Welcome to season three, episode 17. Unbelievable. This is a very turn the table interview with my dear friend, Marie Zelenka, who proposed the idea of interviewing me to ask me anything pertaining my cancer journey. So join us as we sit down for this very passionate, authentic stream of consciousness conversation between the two of us the nine hour time difference because she's in the inner uh the netherlands while she interviewed me so i look forward to you pulling up a chair grabbing that cannoli because here we go look at how gorgeous you are you look amazing i love it i love it hi honey, hi, honey. wow <laughs> Wow. Well, I have a hat here because I might get cold because it's warm and I have a fan going. Right. But um, yeah. Hello. Here we are. Here you are. Wow. You. I, how gorgeous you are. Thank you. It's nighttime here. I mean, I, 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 I have my curtains closed. I think it's still a little bit light out, maybe. No, it's gotten dark now. <laughs> So I just have my curtains closed. Anyway, hi, honey. So now hi, gorgeous. We <laughs> well, so now what we talk. We now we talk. Can you ask me anything you want to ask me? Because I'll just kick it off and just say that um, first off, your name is Marie Lazanka, and you are currently in the Netherlands where you live. Right. And you and I have known each other since 2002 when we first started working together until 2006. And you returned from the United States, from LA to the Netherlands in 2009, which broke my heart. (laughs) I I swear, like out of all the people I know from like summer camp and homesickness and all the things, it's like, I was like, what is it about our relationship that made my heartstrings just like really like just sob? 
And so I describe our relationship as um, a connection that it's a soul connection that we're, t we're tied together in a way that's unexplainable and that we have these very deep loving conversations and we are two women who love each other and are not in competition with each other and accept each other and raise each other up and have seen through the years now, I mean, close to 20 years, for goodness sake. Well, it is 20 years, actually. It's good. Coming, it's going to be 21 years. Holy smokes. Um, that, um, yeah, we've just seen each other go through a lot of things, but not, not that it's been dramatic so much as just live our lives and, and most of it not together. And um, you said to me the other day in a conversation that we were having that you felt it would be a great idea to since I have my podcast, that there should be a conversation where I'm asked the questions, especially having recently been diagnosed and gone through this journey of early stage ovarian cancer, and now having completed my chemo treatments, and that you would love to do that with me if I was open to that. And I said, yes. And I said that you could ask me anything and you felt it would be a great um, way of people hearing my perspective. And from that point forward, I open up the floor to you to say, you know, I love you. And I couldn't imagine doing this with anybody else. And um, you can have, ask me anything you could ever imagine. And you know, I'm gonna share with you how I feel. Right, okay. And I'm curious to see what I'm gonna ask you. I'm curious to hear my own questions. But yeah. I think I think what, um, and thank you, first of all, for uh, being open to this because uh, you know, it's a very personal journey that you've been going through and you've been very open uh, about certain things, but you, not everything, because how do you, how does one do that anyway? You know, I, I wonder even, do you even know yourself what you're, what you're going through? Are you, what's your, you know, What's that whole process like? So, um, you know, it's, so you've been sharing and you've been inspiring people, but what is it really like when you're sitting in a doctor's office and they tell you, okay, uh, we found a mass, you know, what does that even mean? We found a mass. And we need to remove it because it's, you know, it's dangerous and it needs to, it needs to be removed and, and we need to go through all kinds of uh, uh, tests and see where it's at and possible follow-up treatment and all the stuff. So then what happens? You know, what happened, what happened to you? What, how, how, how do you react to that? Oh, well. <laughs> I mean, here's, here's the crazy thing. So some people know 
some people don't know, but most people don't know, is that um, I had ironically been in a really healthy place. I had just dropped over 50 pounds and I was really strong physically. And then completely out of the blue, I think it was in somewhere in August, I started literally excreting a little moisture between my you know panty liner and it wasn't incontinence and it wasn't it wasn't like a sense of urgency it wasn't any of that but I knew that it wasn't normal and I said this isn't normal and I started speaking up now ironically I think if this happened to most women they would just go off to the pharmacy get some pads get a tampon and call it a day and be too embarrassed to mention it well Felicia being Felicia, I'm like, hello, hello, <laughs> this isn't normal. What the fuck is going on? I don't want to, I'm not living like this. I, I have no reason to have this going on. What the hell? Like, give me answers. And the answers that I was, the replies I was getting was, oh, well, this is just what happens to women. And I was <laughs> like, oh horrified by this response and I was like literally if these are the answers you're giving women shame on you and I kept speaking up and I wasn't speaking up like to the people I was working with or my immediate peers it was a med- the medical field and uh, my husband is it because it's because it's sorry for interrupting you but uh because it's a little bit embarrassing like I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm leaking. You're leaking. Oh, yeah, you're, you're leaking. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm and leaking. it's like, um, excuse yeah. me, but um, as I put it, my, my vagina is scientifically tight. I have not delivered a baby. I've not added more weight. I've not created any pressure on my walls. Like, and right. from a medical perspective, and you and I both come from, you know, your family having been in medicine and you being around the healers and being, you know, a healer yourself and myself being a healer and pre-med, we both have this scientific mindset and we both are women who know how to speak up for ourselves and others. So, yeah. It's embarrassing, but at the same time, I wasn't embarrassed because if right. I was embarrassed, I would never have said anything. I would have just quietly gone up. I was more embarrassed buying the pads than I was speaking up. That's the right. joke. Right. And it was a month later after this, this leaking started to occur that then I started to see blood. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Was it, I'm, did you get scared at that point? Did you, did some fear creep in? Like, motherfucker, this is, this could potentially be something super wrong or weren't you, or that wasn't the case yet? Well, I knew, I knew something wasn't right, but my brain never went to like, I have a life-threatening disease. Right. And it's interesting because being being the person who's pretty analytical as we both are, it is interesting that my brain never went there. And I think that that was probably a survival tool more than anything. I knew I was being proactive and I knew that I continued to speak up, but I didn't go to this detrimental mindset space. I just kept being proactive. So when the bleeding occurred, I knew 
that having been through thyroid cancer a decade before and having had radio, um, having had iodine radiation and having had my body be thrown into menopause a decade before when I was in menopausal and not having bled since February, 2012, I knew that this was not normal. And I knew that this needed to be more deeply um, resolved. And, you know, sadly, for somebody who I trusted, which was my gynecologist, um, again, it was like, okay, well, let's do an ultrasound. And we did an ultrasound and there was supposedly a small cyst that we were gonna follow. Well, I'd never gynecologically ever had any issues whatsoever. So that was not normal to have a cyst. And I trusted him. And then he took it so far as to say, well, I think your walls are maturating. And I was like, okay, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly fine over here. I'm not in denial of like maturation, but now, now you're, you're talking about something that is questionable and went so far as to be like, um, so therefore, I think we should do this process called the Mona Lisa. Well, Mona Lisa is something that the French, forgive me, God love the French, but a French doctor came up with the idea, as I put it, you know, I think it's like the 70 year old doctor that wants to feel like he's fucking a 20 year old. And um, <laughs> because God forbid the woman's vaginal walls aren't stimulating to the man's penis. Well, excuse me, but um, how many women say to men, I'm sorry, your penis isn't big enough and I can't feel it. Like, excuse me, wait, who the fuck does that shit? So, you know, God, because, you know, that would emasculate more men than we can imagine. And there's plenty right. out there. And that is not a disrespectful statement. That's an honest right. statement. Right. And, you know, I mean, we, we want to be stimulated too. And that's one of the many ways. And um, so needless to say, I was like, oh, Jesus. Okay. So he's like, I recommend we do this process there's a 50-50 chance it could work. And so we'll go forward. But it was an out-of-pocket expense. It was considered a cosmetic surgery or a laser process procedure. And um, it was a three-step process that you did a laser sur uh, surgery, so to speak. Laser, not invasive. But then you recovered for like four to five, six weeks. And then you did it again, recovered, did it again, recovered. Well, I went through three processes and nothing changed. And I got like enough already. The bleeding, the bleeding kept. The leaking, the bleeding, all of it. And I would not feel the leaking. So that was the other thing. Like I'm really in tune with my body. And you would think you would, you know, you, a woman knows when she laughs and she excretes or something. That was not happening here. It just was there. And it wasn't like I was soaked, you know, or any, it wasn't anything and, like that. And was it, was it urine or was it something else? It was, it was urine. So it was oh, just a clear, it was just clear. It wasn't milky like a UTI. It wasn't anything. It wasn't anything. It was just clear. And it was just like, you know, it was like getting like, like a little bit on like this. And um, so it was really like, okay, how do you not feel that? My nerve endings are, are good down there. Like all the things, how is this that this is happening out of nowhere? 
So then I said, hey, you know, enough already. I want, I want imaging. And um, my gynecologist was out of network. He was my only doctor out of network. And inevitably, I said, you need to talk to my internist because I want to make sure that this is covered medically because I don't know how much an MRI costs. And I didn't know what, you know, and I just wanted to be smart about all things. Well, where I started to get like more worked up was when it took them several weeks to communicate with my internist. And I'm like, oh my God, were I'm you, multitasking. Were you at that point getting worried? Like possibly like, or still not yet? Strangely, strangely, again, I think some sort of like something was like saving me inside from going into doomsday. Right. Like seriously. And yet the irony is time was of the essence. You knew you knew something had to be like we have to move on this. Yeah. Yeah, we have to move. I need answers but you're all not moving fast enough. And, and that's when I got upset. And I was like, you are sitting in an office with computers, phones, fax machines, all the technology. I'm working on location all over the place. I can multitask. I can get things done. How is it that you can't communicate with another doctor's office? And it ended up that I reached out to my internist where I found out I had to come in for a referral. I went in on a Thursday, it was the week before Thanksgiving. And he immediately got a referral for an MRI. And I had an appointment the very next morning at 7 a.m. at UCLA at the main campus in Westwood. And I went off. Matter of fact, my mother-in-law and sister-in-law were here already for Thanksgiving holiday. And I went off to do a commercial and I briefly stopped home and then I went off to do my commercial and I'm standing there in a parking lot in Glendale, California, when I randomly get a phone call from my internist at like 11 a.m. And I knew that that was not normal. Like he, if he's going to make a call, he's going to call between like four and six in the evening for his follow-ups. Yeah, But instead I get this phone call at 11 and I was right in the middle of work and I knew I need to answer it. And that's when he said, he just got a report back from the radiologist and the radiologist said, I believe your patient uh, immediately needs to get to an oncologist. I believe she has ovarian cancer. Okay. And I just lost my shit. Right. That's when I got full blown mad and I wanted to take people out. Mad, mad at the world, mad at. Mad at the people that weren't listening to me. Right. Right. Mad at the people who I entrusted and that I spoke up to and basically You know, and I thought to myself, if you're speaking to me this way, who's speaking up, how many women, like I literally went there, I went into a much bigger picture. If this is happening to me, how many other women is this happening to? And how many women are dying unnecessarily? And like, then I went into like the full blown, and I'm working, 
I'm still actively doing my job while my brain is off in the holy shit mode. It's the week before Thanksgiving. I've just been told I most likely have ovarian cancer and I need to get to see an oncologist and it's the holiday. What the fuck? And it was as if I took my vehicle, my body and my mind, and I put that shit into high gear and I went all fucking bets are off. Get the fuck out of my way. And I literally said to my internist, you better get me the best gynecological oncologist you can get your hands on stat. I want all the blood work for cancer workup now. I mean, I was talking like a doctor and I'm not, I'm, I'm not a doctor. And yet I have this knowledge of, you know, I need to get as much information for whomever I'm going to see collected now. So there's no like waiting, 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 because it's all about test, test, test for results to get answers. And thankfully, my internist went, you know, he referred me immediately to UCLA team. But then the irony was they couldn't see me. So this was November 19th, 2022. So just this past November. And that was a Friday. What I got back that day from the UCLA team was they couldn't see me until December 15th. And I went, excuse me? I don't think so. That's not happening. And then I proceeded to call my gynecologist's office, who's considered to be one of the top West Side LA teams of gynecologists. And he's been with me for years and he will remain nameless. But, you know, my trust in that process went out the window. And I called his office to speak to him directly and he wasn't in the office and they put one of his partners on who I proceeded to ream a new asshole to (laughs) with no like and I never even used to know that term by the way (laughs) and and um but I did and I literally said to her if this is how you're treating your female patients shame on you And I am now speaking for every woman that is a client in that office and any other office on this planet right now, because if this is how I've been treated and I've been willing to speak up and speak up on something that most women are told by commercials, oh, just wear a pad, oh, just wear a diaper, oh, just wear this and go on with your life. How many women are walking around taking themselves to the pharmacy and doing just that? and don't know that they're walking around with a life-threatening disease potentially. How many? And how many, because they're too embarrassed or because they've been blown up and told that this is what women go through, that they are literally being pushed aside. And I said, so now it is your responsibility to align me with the best gynecological oncologist you can get your, you have points of reference to. And she proceeded to give me three names. One who was an associate with USC, one who had been associated with UCLA, but had now just moved to Orange County, 
which you know where Orange County is, which is south of Los Angeles, and then one that was associated with Cedar sinai And my gut was call Cedar sinai yeah. And I proceeded to call Cedar sinai immediately. Again, I am still actively working and shooting a commercial while this is all going on. <laughs> I've and not... Still- and and the fear factor is still not not happening. No time yet. No time There's, to be scared. I mean, I'm mad. Right. I'm mad because I've just spent four months speaking up. Right. So I'm right. in mad mode while I'm being right. productive and professional on a, right. on a set. <laughs> and, you know, thankfully, thankfully, I was working with a friend who herself had just survived breast cancer. And so during the pandemic, so she was very acutely aware of the, you know, I've watched women in our industry, um, the film and television industry who, you know, a woman who could have just like, for instance, I'll use this example. I've seen women run departments who, literally hire somebody who's just had a baby and they're nursing and they need to take an hour to go excrete their milk to save for their baby. And they have been the most lacking empathy kind of human. I mean, I can't even call them human beings. And I've been absolutely dumbfounded. Like you realize this isn't even legal. Like you realize that not only is it lacking empathy and you as a head of your department are mismanaging this situation. And so I was grateful. I was with women who knew me, loved me, cared about me, and were giving me all the grace. And they know me. They know, like you know me, how I show up full tilt, like completely committed. I'm not going to drop the ball. No, I'm here, but I'm also handling this at the same time. And they just gave me the grace and the space. And they pretty much watched me like move mountains on that day alone. And so what happened was in my calling Cedars, I was lucky to speak to this female in this office with this, um, to this particular gynecological oncologist who said, I pulled up your MRI right now. So she had it in front of her and she literally, and she said, thanks to computer systems. And she said, um, this, this person is very busy, but when he gets your MRI, he will determine if he can make space for you. And I went, okay. And she said, so we'll just, we'll just see. We'll cut to two hours later. I'm getting a phone call from that office saying he wants to see you this next Tuesday. And that was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving in the United States holiday where everything shuts down. And um, I said, well, Jesus, thank God there's angels. Literally. I mean, I just, I remember my saying that and I couldn't thank her enough. And I remember I had to sign all these, you know, DocuSign documents and do all this stuff to, to, to clear this, you know, visit and meetings and all the things so they could get all the documents they needed. And um, of course, I remember coming home that Friday night 
And I, I mean, I remember having to call my husband, Randy, <laughs> and he was at work. I don't even remember the conversation. I just remember thinking, how am I going to tell my sweet husband without right. freaking him out? Right. And I don't remember really what I said. I, re I really, really don't. I, I don't. And I'm sure that, you know, I can't speak for him because I've never asked him, like, what went through his head at the moment. But I'm sure it wasn't good. And I remember coming home that night and I believe he was already home and my mother-in-law and sister-in-law being there. And at some point, him pretty much, and you know, Randy's very close to his chest about things. And he, I believe he kind of set up the conversation to open up the floor for me to tell my mother-in-law and sister-in-law. And ironically, my mother-in-law, who is now, uh, gosh, I think she's 87 now, just is in her, I think, just got cleared from like five years of going through breast cancer post, like, so she herself was like really in the, you know, the mindset of, and she's very much a praying woman and, you know, all the things that, you know, we, we all do our things differently. I'm, I'm not who she is, but I respect mm -hmm. who she is. And um, she just like, she just went into this very kind, sweet, like ever encompassing, like it's all going to be great and it's all going to be good and we're going to be around you and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I know that, and it, this is part of the blur over that weekend, I, I think it was that weekend or that week. I, I really don't remember that. Um, I remember at some point, like Randy really needed to be spoken to. And I think that there was a way that you know, there's kind of defense mechanisms coming up because he's fearful, he's scared, he's all those things. And his mom said, I'll handle it. And she did. She basically set him aside because he never, he, I think, really had a hard time dealing with his mom being sick. Never was there, you know, he never went to Texas at the time. And that's not making him wrong or bad. I just think it was his own, like, God, you know, if I lose my mom, what, blah, blah, blah. And so she just knows her son, like I know her son. And she asked to speak to him and brought him in the office. And they had a heart to heart where I know he broke down. And she was just like, you're going to have to be there for your wife. And though I know you are, like, it's a whole nother level. And she's going to need you. And you're going to need to be there and you're going to need to buck up. And she really straightened him out. And I'm very grateful to her for that because she's that kind of a strong female presence that it was too much. It was not, it was more than I like, it was enough. Like I was trying to put all the, the Legos in place, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we were so lucky. Like, I don't doubt 
that we were being watched over because things happened so quickly from that point forward that that Tuesday we were in that gynecological oncologist's office and he literally after his um, residents had been in the office pre-questioning me um, when he walked in it was like light was around this man it was like an energy source and uh, you and I get that you know and he sat down and he introduced himself to Randy and I and he said so I understand you haven't been heard and I like shook my head and he went I'm here to hear you and I'm here to cure you well in all my years of being around doctors I've never heard anybody in such a calm confident clear human way take the reins and I was just like all right I'm in the right place and we're really lucky and from there he proceeded to do what's called the corkscrew pelvic exam <laughs> now mm -hmm. imagine a wine bottle opener as I right. put it <laughs> but imagine it as an art piece made in plexiglass <laughs> created <laughs> on steroids that's now gonna <laughs> go into your vaginal walls right right because right. they're trying to see if any matter comes off your walls right. okay and thank god nothing came off my walls so he was like oh this is great like this is really hopeful okay and then he was standing over me and he said so um I understand you've lost like over 50 pounds. And I said, yeah, I mean, and he's standing over me on the, you know, the table. And, um, but in a very not like, you know, alpha way, just in a, like, this is, this is a circumstance. And I said, yes, I have. And he said, first off, nobody believes your age. Everybody here thinks you're like 20 years younger than it says on paper. And the fact that you lost all this weight it's like one of the greatest things you could have done for yourself. And we believe based upon just who you showed up being, your spirit, your presence, all the things, this is a good sign. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then they looked up the blood work that I had done on that Saturday that I had, had insisted upon having all the blood panels done and everything came off normal. So these were two things positive in my favor. And so then they were like, okay, so we now need to do a CT scan with contrast to make sure from your abdomen and your lung area that nothing is spread. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, and it's the holiday and the end of the year and everybody's getting scanned and this because everybody's getting surgery. And my brain immediately, because we're in LA goes, well, I'm not getting a facelift. <laughs> I think it's sense of humor that kind of keeps me like <laughs> right and uh and he's like no I know you're not getting a facelift he's like but you know this is you know it's insurance reasons and I was like oh of course right. and I thought to myself well he doesn't know who he's dealing with I'm gonna get this I'm gonna get I'm gonna make this happen yeah. Now it's literally the Tuesday before the Thursday where Thanksgiving. So like 
there's not time. And I literally said to Randy, when we left the office, we didn't even leave that that like that outside area from the office. I said, I need to sit down here and I need to call these imaging places and I need to get an appointment tomorrow. Right. So he was really great about that. And that didn't work out. And the next morning I call my internist and my gynecologist, who, by the way, I had that morning before also reamed a new asshole too. And um, I mean, I'm not proud of that statement, by the way, it's very unladylike, but at that point it's my life. And well, you know, they're calling uh, the procedure a Mona Lisa and they're calling a hysterectomy uh, taking out the hysteria out of a woman, you know, you can ream him a new asshole. It's fine. It's fine. Why are we still calling it a hysterectomy? And taking it's literally taking the hysteria out of a woman. Yeah, I mean, how absolutely from a Latin perspective insensitive to everything that birthes life, everything yep. that creates life. You're oh, going she's to hysterical. actually, yeah. yeah, she's hysterical. Yeah. yeah. Well, your penis is a, you know, a pole that only does so yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, <laughs> inevitably, <laughs> I mean, fishes, excretes fishes. I don't know what the hell. And yeah. uh, um, <laughs> so, so. I called my two doctors, the internist and gynecologist, and I told them the situation. I said, I need to get into a CT scan now. Well, I think my gynecologist at that point was so scared of me. He made it happen. Yeah. And he yeah. literally had an appointment for me on the west side of town. And I got in. And I was done by noon. And actually on the way there, my, gynecolo uh, my gynecological oncologist called me saying that all the test results had come back from the corkscrew pelvic exam and all the things and everything was normal. I didn't have uterine cancer. This was a good sign. And I told him, well, I'm on my way to get a CT scan. He's like, you're kidding me. And I was like, no. So you'll have results by Monday, if not sooner. And he was like, incredible. So he knew, he already knew who he was dealing with. He knew I was like, no balls to the wall. Like I was like, like full on, like, um, I'm an advocate. I'm, 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 I'm responsible. I am a take action person. He knew that he had an engaged individual who was not going to be passive and wasn't going to accept no for an answer and not, not in a way that was unbecoming. And I don't keep meaning to say that, but I mean, in a way that's like, no, I mean, I would want me in the trenches. I would want, I would want me to save lives. And right. I think on a much bigger platform than just my selfish self. And, um, and, you know, the great news is that Saturday, we got the results back, I got it back on my posting on my, my app. And I knew what it said, but I didn't tell anybody what it said, because I wanted to hear it from the doctors. And then, of course, Monday morning, I thought it was kind of ironic, 
that my gynecologist, who, by the way, in on the day that I reamed him a new asshole, starts, <laughs> you know, trying to backpedal and tell me, well, this is why I did this. This is why I, you know, we, we don't just jump to conclusions and we don't just go to imaging. And I was like, wrong, wrong decision. Yeah. It's wrong. Any, any woman who, who excretes blood after having not have have having had your period for you know an obvious five or ten years whatever what whenever you see blood it's the end of the discussion some it needs to be checked out and it's not always you know nine nine out of ten times okay it was just a lot a last hooray it was nothing it was fine but that one that one time it can not be, a decade later not a decade later not a decade later you know not even if five years later after you've had your last period when there's all of a sudden when out of nowhere there's blood there's something that something your body is telling you something well when blood comes out of a penis you can be guaranteed oh god that there is something royally wrong yeah well something and that's immediate, wrong. yeah immediately looked at too but um i don't even know if all women you know know that if after you know after after you've gone through your menopause and you've stopped bleeding that after you know what after five years definitely when blood shows up it's wrong and it's not like oh look at me i'm young again i'm bleeding no no it's <laughs> no you're not no it's something's wrong yeah, and it doesn't matter your age. You could, you know, go through early menopause. You could, right. you know, it's age right. is irrelevant. But right. if your body has been stopped from ovulating, it is wrong. And, yeah. you know, it's one thing for a woman to take a year or two to slough the walls to the final distribution of blood, that last bit of blood. Yeah. But again, like you said, to your point, five years later, definitely no. no 10 years later absolutely not and um it was my body saying pay attention pay attention yeah. speak up and because it does not because it does not hurt it there's no really there's no signs really uh maybe a, a bit of nausea can occur or you can have some abdominal cramping uh but you know what what woman doesn't you know, what woman is not constipated now and again? What woman, you know, does not have, uh, um, yeah, discomfort? So you, you, you kind of, you don't know. You don't know. And the thing was, is I wasn't having any of those other things or signs. Right. And right. which are relative to exactly what you're describing that can be relative to ovarian cancer that many women would ignore again. They would ignore right. all those signs and never speak up and never say anything. And then again, if they did, how many people would be believed and heard and hey, let's because, go to because, a place. But, but Felicia, so, so now we're back to that fear question again, because mm -hmm. we're mm -hmm. all scared to hear a doctor tell us that we have cancer. We, none mm -hmm. of us, you know, nobody wants to hear that. We're all scared of it. And you've been told now twice. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's you really know? surreal. So there's got to be, you know, I understand you go into survival mode and you got angry and, you know, all these emotions raging through your body, but there's got to be a moment or I don't know, but I can imagine there's going to be a moment where fear sets in. Well, it's really fascinating because I've asked myself this because for as fearless as I've been in many aspects of my life, I, and people think that I'm extremely confident. Right. You know, I'm because that's full of fear. You, well, that's how you come across, you know, you come across uh, and, and going through through these last months too, you come across as like, yeah, I'm a fighter. I'm a goer. I'm a doer. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm working out and I'm, I'm going for it and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm taking care of myself and, you know, I'm being an inspiration to people, but, um, there's gotta all, there's also this other side of it that, mm -hmm. and that's, I think that was my reason for asking you like, so what is really, you know, what's going on behind all that, behind all that Felicia's here to inspire, Felicia's here to, to um, you know, all do all the things that she's doing, but where, what's happening with the Felicia who is like behind the scenes, like, holy fuck, what's happening here with my body is it, you know, is what, where is what's happening with that Felicia? Where is that Felicia? What is that Felicia thinking? Well, a combination of things that even this last Friday, when I was getting ready, when we were in the office for my last chemo treatment. Right. Congratulations, by the way. That yeah, Thank it's you. done. Done. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. Because you know. Yeah. I don't know how anybody doesn't have PTSD after that shit. Right. <laughs> and I mean, this last week side effects have been like, this is the best day I've had because the side effects were unbelievable. Like the nausea, the diarrhea, the okay. exhaust. I mean, the pain, it was just like, and, and the drugs weren't working. Like the, the, the nausea, right. medic, nothing was like, Plan. it didn't matter how ahead of it I was um but my gynecological oncologist said you know ironically my white blood cells were low in the okay. lab so every every time you go for chemo treatment they have to do lab work sure. to make sure that you can get the infusion and the infusion can be anywhere from six to nine ten hours depending upon how fast or slow the process goes or if they have to slow it down depending upon how your body receives it and let's just start with like all the needles that go in you shit I mean the took me three times to get the needle into me on Friday oh including twice with the IV team who you know is what they call when nobody else can do it I mean it just gives me gag reflex now just thinking uh -huh. about like just stay yeah. the f away from me um yeah. So, um, you know, in your, hand, how, your arm, 
arm, in your elbow crease? Where do they stick the needle? Oh my God, they never once put in the same place in all six oh. treatments over okay. from January to April. It never landed in the same place. In okay. some cases, even though there were three weeks in between each treatment, some veins were still bruised from the treatment before. So there was definitely no way. So twice okay. it went in my left side, left arm, the other four times went in my right arm. Even when I just grab my arm right now, I can still feel a little bit of a bruising. And it's not that it looks bruised, it just, you can feel it to the touch. And they would say that my veins are good, but they're deep. Right. And I mean, you can drink all the fluids so the cows come home and I drink a lot of water and I would be prepped for all of that, but it's a crapshoot. I mean, I had, my last nurse had been an oncology nurse for over 20 plus years. And she said, if I start out my day, not getting the needle in right, my day is off the rest of the day. Well, of course it is because it's a crapshoot putting a needle in anybody because it's not a systematic structure. You're not dealing sure. with the same veins on every person. You're not dealing with the same situation every time. Every time it's different. I would not want that job to save my life. Yeah. Ironically. And yeah. um, and yet there it was saving my life supposedly. And, and the reason why I had to do chemo was... Um, because what we didn't talk about up to this point, and, and, I, and I promise you I will talk about the fear, is that <laughs> I did have surgery. I promise you. I, I'm not avoiding it. I promise you. But I was lucky enough to have surgery in the first week of December after we got the CT scans back. I was lucky enough to have the historic, you know, hysterectomy and so I was no longer hysteria hysterical yeah hysteria and <laughs> yeah unbelievable and I was supposedly supposed to be bedridden for six to eight weeks and I was up and walking like I was asking to get the catheter out of me the very next morning so I could get up and go to the bathroom and walk the floors and all that and I was lucky that when they went in that there was only in two spots where 40% of women it spread already throughout and it's too late. And I don't Google doctor. I don't play Google doctor. We've talked about this. I don't, I don't yeah. do that. Um, that's your job. And I did. I did. I, I, I researched, I researched. You're the researcher yeah. in our partnership. You always have this. And I'm just like, okay, let's do this. And you're like, let me research that. <laughs> And so, you know, I, I think those are also part of my survival mechanisms. And I think it's also part of just like my gut feeling or whatever, like, I'm just going to, I, you know, and I don't know where this comes from, Marie, I really don't know where that that characteristic comes for because I do walk around going is the cup half full or is the cup half empty like am I going to make it through this or am I going to and I'm going to thrive and survive and and win or am I going to like gloom and doom and I know that I always have to figure out how I'm going to win like that's yeah. my my mindset I always have to get up and figure it out and win and 
to that point, ha- half the time I think, oh, I'm not even, like, I haven't even done most of the things I've ever wanted to imagine doing. And then I go, um, but to yeah, I'm low, many I'm low. Okay, I'm low on battery, so I just have to yeah. plug in. I'm just going to move, move, move around a bit. But yeah, keep talking. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So ironically, to that point, it's like I've always had what other people go, who the fuck are you? You've gone through all these things. You've had, you know, nine lives. And right. I don't see it that way. And I don't know why I don't see it that way. And the irony is, like, when I went through papillary thyroid cancer, the, the comment was, well, you know, if you're going to get a cancer, this is the cancer to get because you're not going to die from this. And it was very right. a cavalier kind of a statement. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking back then, wow, that is just like, okay, so I'm not going to die. And I'm just, I've got cancer and it didn't happen once. It happened four times. Okay. But I soared through it, even like coming out of surgery and, you know, being back up in the mountains and triple digit heat, taking care of my teams and my leads and, and doing things that my teams would have thought unthinkable and were unthinkable, frankly. And on Friday, when I saw my, when we saw, when we went in for my last chemo treatment and the oncologist mentioned about how I've thrived through this life-threatening disease, I just remember thinking, nobody is ever, and you know, I've survived domestic violence and that's a whole nother kind of life-threatening disease. Right, right, right. I don't know what, I don't know what makes me who I am because I do have fear, but I want to say to that point that I concluded this time, and this is something that I'm working through, that when you've been told you have a life-threatening disease, And yet you've been given this opportunity by aligning with the right people, the right team, the timing, even though four months had gone by, you know, because I did, I did ask myself and I did ask the team, you know, had you caught it four months earlier when this first started happening, could it have been not early stage three ovarian cancer? Could it have been, you know, like, whoa, who knows? Maybe my organs still would have been, maybe my hysterical organs still would have been in my, in place. Like who knows? And, um, you know, um, and so I asked my things, myself, things like that. But when you hear that you've knock wood so far survived a life, a life threatening disease, you start to conclude, I have nothing to fucking be in fear of. Right. Right. And, and it's nothing not fear, but fear itself, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, there are things that I personally need to allow myself to trust myself to do no fucking differently than I have just handled this situation and like I handled many other situations and that the only person that stops me is me 
And that is a big kind of mindset of walking through fear that I don't know what it's like to be the audience or the person reading a post of mine that I never intended on going public. But when I did go public from my hospital room last December and people just were coming out of the woodworks and you know anybody who had seen me physically leading up to that, they, pro- they were, I, I don't know what they were thinking and it's not for me to know, but it was either like, oh, well then that makes sense how she dropped all that weight. She was right. sick. Right. No, that had nothing to do with the no. other thing at no. all. No. Thank God no. I had lost the weight. Thank God I was in shape to endure through all of this. But the fear is a funny thing that has always creeped in because of trauma. That has always creeped in because of unknown that has always creeped in because you know both of us have worked with some of the best of the best in the industry and yet you've been the best of the best and you're part of the of the industry as I've supposedly been considered but it's 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 like a chess game. You can be in the position here and the next day you're in the position over here and the next day you're in the position over here and nothing's guaranteed. So it's really a matter of you standing by your side, not abandoning yourself and believing and trusting in, look, life is not guaranteed. This is a gift. This is all in your gratitude. And this is all in like your good fortune, genetics, the best kind of medical team you can surround yourself with and the communities and connections. And I mean, these are, I was just writing about this, that it's for all of those things that I think that I have done as well as I have done And many have said, oh, but it's because of you, not because of all those extraneous things. And it's like, well, I can't keep you. Nobody does it alone. And nor should anybody take credit for that. Right. And I would never do such a thing. I mean, you know, we all have ego, but I'm not that kind of a entitled son of a bitch with an ego like that. That's just not how I roll at all. I'm much more on the other side of the spectrum. I'll I'll give everybody else the credit because it really did take all my communities that raised me up like I choose to raise people up. The difference is, is that I no longer want to deal with BS. I no longer want to deal with anyone or anything toxic. Like if I didn't already know that, that is so emblazoned in me. Mm. there is just no like it it almost makes me feel like right now like I'm free falling Mm -hmm. and I'm Mm -hmm. not sure where I'm gonna land right right uncharted territory totally uncharted territory because the sky is the limit now like I had somebody say to me yesterday 
how were you producing your podcast during all this? I said, oh God, I was delivering to my producers a podcast who was driving into Cedars to do the surgery. And they're like, what? And I said, and yeah, we were dropping every Monday while I was going through chemo treatments. How are you so unstoppable? And then they stopped themselves and they've known me for like 16 years. And they were like, who am I talking to? Of course you're unstoppable. There isn't anything that I haven't seen you accomplish. Right. And it's interesting, Marie, because I don't think, I mean, I think of myself as I have that capability and that I know that, but there's been a lot of incidences that have come along the way, whether it's within my own family upbringing or within the industry that we work in that can really undermine your confidence or having nothing to do with who you are and who you show up being and who you are as a value of an entity, of an energy source. But there's so much dysfunction and unhealthiness around. (laughs) And I've always been a person who believes and was raised in a world that you took, you took responsibility and you took accountability. And if you needed to work shit out, you went and got a therapist. And I mean, that's been true since, you know, I was a little kid and it wasn't that I was in therapy as a little kid, but I saw parents who were actively doing it when there was, that was just not talked about. And here we are in 2023, where still mental health is like, God, you know, it's barely okay to still talk about it. Why? I mean, I just posted a a podcast that I did at the very beginning of my starting my podcast about why is it such a shameful thing to talk about? And I think one of my strengths is that I'll talk about anything. I, I, and I try to be direct, even though I talk about a lot of things to get to the point, but I think it's because it's a layered statement. It's not a direct always statement. It's not a yes or a no or a black and a white. I think it's very, very layered. And, you know, I think that fear is something that we're not born with. I think fear is put upon us in many cases that comes from generations of other people's shit. And I think then you carry that generationally, energetically, and what do you do to release it and heal it and to move through it? And I think that any fear that I took on because I'm such a sensitive, empathic human being, that it's my job to no longer carry that generational shit around. And no longer okay to take on other people's shit that has nothing to do with my purpose of why I'm here. Right. 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 So, you know, going back to the being told you have a life-threatening disease. And then you're given the gift to get it eradicated out of you. And now I've gone through the process of having it microscopically, you know, hopefully insured to not have the opportunity to grow. And I will continue to be 
taken care of for the next couple of years through post-medical ways that are yet to be completely, you know, like explained, but I, I have an idea post-genetic testing that there's no room for fear. Right. There's no room for fear, and yet it creeps in now and again, I'm sure. Yeah, but in a very surreal way. And, right. you know, it's not like being stoned. It's not like, it's not, it's not <laughs> like, oh, I'm detached. Oh, I can just kind of escape. No, I'm very present. But I definitely think that we all have the mechanisms. I'll never forget after surviving being with a violent alcoholic. <laughs> right right but speaking of fear because because that's fear that's fear also fear for your life oh yeah and, and i think you know you know when somebody is scared fearful it's in general fear is fear of it's fear of dying because what yeah. else what else could you be scared of? You know, you're scared of, 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 I don't know, somebody coming at you. So it's fear of, it's fear has to do with dying. Yeah. So, so now that you've gone through this and, and sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting your, you were going on, uh, uh, moving into the alcoholic uh, husband, abusive husband. Um, What's in a husband? Thank God. Well, <laughs> not to interrupt, but, but you know, <laughs> partner at a, the time, a partner, yeah. a partner. Um, uh, so fear, fear is is comes from dying, right? Mm -hmm. So, are you now saying I'm less fearful of dying? Death does not scare you. I, I, does, that I make, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Oh, of course. And I've and I've and I've thought about this in this last week. Because, you know, hopefully one lives another 30, 40 years. Let's but laugh. Who knows? Let's do it. You know? Let's do it. Let's, oh, let's, let's just do, do it. it. Fuck it. Let's just do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, because there's a lot more celebrating to do. There's a lot more oh. seeing to do, a lot more oh. living, all those things. Yeah. Um Listen, one hopes for having witnessed, you know, our, our parents going through the demise and all those things. One hopes for the best circumstances and the least amount of suffering and the most financial best environments that, you know, you get to either be in your home or be surrounded by your loved ones and all those things. And look, neither one of us have children, but children don't guarantee any of that shit because I watched that where children did not show up for their parents. And, um, and uh, you know, one just hopes that they can live a quality life that is with honor and respect and valued and that you're not shoved off to the side because you no longer, you know, because we more so probably in the U.S. I don't know, you know, Europe has always been said to have a lot more honor for the elderly. I don't know if that that's true or not with time. It doesn't uh, matter. Yeah. It, 
it's probably it's probably oh, shifted it's probably yeah, it's shifted sh yeah it's shifted but i i would like to think that the tie-in to the violent alcoholic is I definitely knew what fear was then. I definitely feared for yeah. my life. Yeah. I did not fear for my life during this period. And I can't explain why. And I think it was because I, well, I'm not really sure I can explain it. It's a, well, I maybe perhaps, I don't know either, but maybe perhaps when you're living with a violent alcoholic, so uh, it's more, it's, it's immediate. Mm -hmm. Somebody's coming at you, you know, mm -hmm. threatening you, mm -hmm. uh, joking you, uh, doing, you know, ungodly things mm -hmm. that, that could possibly mean the end of your life right then and there. And this process, mm -hmm. your, your, you know, starting with the doctor who, who, you know, the oncologist who said, I'm, I'm here to listen to you and I'm here to cure you. The, what a great doctor, you know, could have mm -hmm. been, been this angsty person and said, well, God, this is all, you know, whoo, we don't know what's going to happen. It's just, oh, it's this, it's that. It's no, he was direct. We're going to cure you. That's it. And he gave you a mindset a mindset that you already have and um and you could build on that and so you can move forward and i think maybe the alcoholic comes at you and fuck i may die right now is that there's maybe no question yeah no there's 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 it's it's it is a 180 degree difference yeah. and yeah. you know the the fear factor i mean the fact that i survived the hand by the hands of a violent alcoholic the way I did off and on over the period of time that I did losing three babies being on my own never missing a day of work um having three dogs in my life no shelter taking me in with my dogs and I was safe I would have been safer on the street than in my own home and I never was out lived on the street and you know I'm you're talking about an educated uh you know accomplished human being and yeah. and this is the thing that we you know again correlate with like oh you know she doesn't know any better because she's uneducated or socioeconomically well no that should exist across all all oh, levels oh i probably but uh, yeah that's all across the board um and it's probably even scarier when it's uh you know when it happens in environments where nobody talks about anything because <laughs> you know keeping up appearances that's what we do and everything or everything is fine and uh yeah so i you know that's even more that's even more terrifying and scary than yeah well i think that's our demise of our society is our lack of our ability to be authentic and transparent yeah yeah no, because god for fucking bid we be the truth god forbid yeah. we be an actual seeker and seriously curious and and really have an authentic conversation yeah. i mean how many people have these kind of conversations again this is why i i personally wanted to do this platform because i'm completely the opposite i have nothing to hide I, I, I said to my producers last night in a meeting, I said, 
who who do you know talks about finances and their sex life and like going through chemo and all the things that and I'm not looking for a badge I'm just saying I, I just want to talk it out I just want to get it out because well it's we all it's, have something yeah. to learn from it it's it's very it's very important. I remember a couple of years ago, a very dear friend of mine, and unfortunately she's no longer with us. Um, and fortunately for her, because she was really truly done and wanted to go. So um, so okay. But she was, I think at the time in her early 80s, and uh and she told me, you know, when I uh when I cough, I pee. So she called it something, I don't know, she combined the two words and it was in Dutch. It was, you know, some, something like pee, cough, or I don't know, something. And she said, you know, and the other day I had my sister was over and, um, and two other friends and she brought up the subject. She said, you know, when I cough, I pee. And these girlfriends also in their eighties said, Oh yeah, well you just go um, to the store and you buy these pads and and that's it. And she said, why has nobody ever spoken about this? You guys have been doing this for years. How come you've never talked about it? Why? But you don't. Yeah. Is it it's it's no. not done. It's not done. And it's uh, it's shocking when, uh, you know, supposedly it's shocking when we bring up subjects in, uh, you know, in, in um, situations and you ask questions and, you know, it's supposedly it's shocking when you do and you're not supposed to ask these things and you're, you know, whatever, sub whatever the subject may be, whether it be sex, whether it be money, whether it be whatever but you know how else are you to find out i mean aren't we here to learn from each other secret, you have to secret, secretly google everything <laughs> and then erase your history so nobody can find out i don't know so i have another question for you um what was it like losing your hair That was something that I remember, whew, I, you know, uh, wow. <laughs> I'd love to think that I have no vanity. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, all my life, I have had people love my hair. And I don't think I say that in a way that it's like, oh, so therefore it's an intention getter. No, because it's not been like that all my life. But, um, but you had I a mom. Remember, you had a, a, an enormous, beautiful, curly, thick head of hair. And it was, thank you. And it was long and it was yep. all the things. You know, it's like uh, I, I was lucky. I was lucky to be blessed with a gorgeous head of hair that you know, I had nothing to do with it. And I just, uh, and it was at a really beautiful stage before all this had taken course. Right. And um, I remember when I was told, so when I had the surgery, I did not know that I was going to have to go through chemo. I thought, okay, great. I'm going to heal through Christmas and New Year's. And I'm going to be back to work and life is going to go on. 
And then my follow-up at the end of December was when I found out that they wanted me to do chemo treatment. And I remember just kind of having like the wind punched out of me. And I was like, oh God, okay. So the three things that came up for me, first off, I was always like, never, ever, 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 never chemo. Because you, you, you did not go through chemo with the thyroid, right? That was radi, radi. It was iodine radiation, which was a pill. And it was where you were isolated for up to 48 hours. Yeah. Which is a trip in and of itself. But no, I did not go through chemo. And um, so I knew that between needles, nausea, and hair loss, you're, you're talking to the wrong girl. Right. Not, not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you you called the, you called the wrong number. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I remember my doctor sitting there and telling me, "Look, we we all we all know. We all know how beautiful your hair is. We're all on the same page." Like I didn't, I wasn't even talking. He's like, right. "Whoa, we've all concluded you've got the most gorgeous head of hair." Right. And yes, you're going to lose it. And yes, it's going to grow back. But you need to do the chemo for us to ensure that microscopically. And so I remember when I, and I thought I was going to go back to work, by the way, once I started chemo. I remember you were thinking, yeah, I'm. Oh, I was just going to go back to work, but I kept thinking like, okay, how do I go back to work while getting chemo, not talk about it, function as a normal everyday situation, but look like myself. (laughs) Yeah. Looking like myself. And I'm a person who doesn't wear a lot of makeup. Um, uh, I like to be really natural. My hair, you know, I don't brush it. I it's what I call kind of fuckable bedhead hair, you know, yeah. it's like, right. and it's not meant to, I mean, I just got lucky because of how the texture of it was and how it just is. And I've always felt, even as a person who does hair professionally, that less is more. So, you know, you get a great haircut, you massage that head of hair, you shake it, you go. And I believe that for all my clients. And it wasn't until I got into the film industry and fashion and blah, 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 where I had to start using products to create continuity and structure in a way that, you know, not all heads of hair does the same thing. So when this reality came into play, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my eyebrows, my eyelashes, my hair. What, how am I going to like, how, so I literally started like ordering eyelashes Right. Okay. I wasn't really thinking of wigs at the time because I was like, oh God, even though I, I mean, I had thousands of wigs in my own stock that I had sold like a handful of years back because I wasn't utilizing them. And I remember thinking, yeah, man, there's no goddamn way I'm wearing a wig. As much as I know how to manage wigs and I know how to put them on people's heads and make them look flawless. I'm just not doing that. And I was like, you know, I'll figure out. And yet I had no idea how my head shape was going to be. And I had no idea how I was going to manage the transition. 
and um and I got a bunch of the eyelashes delivered and I was like this is just this is insane and they weren't big eyelashes they were really really natural and I was just like oh this is so inauthentic this is so not who I am and I've always had nice eyelashes but I was like okay if I lose them I lose them and blah 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 so one of I remember reaching out to my girlfriend, another one of my sweet girlfriends, who I also have worked with over the years and who um, now lives in Atlanta. And reaching out to her, I text her that I, I'd like to be able to speak with her. And she basically said to me, I'm trying to remember. I think it was like end of December I reached it was it was it was end of December it was before the New Year's and she basically told me that she was so busy with family and all the things she probably couldn't talk to me for about another month and I remember thinking yeah that's not gonna work (laughs) (laughs) newsflash I've been diagnosed with cancer and I love to be able to talk with you she texted me so fast back when 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 can you talk and she and I at that point so we we were also going to be doing a podcast ironically and that was (laughs) and so we in the talking through the podcast and our on our own had basically made a plan that all right, well, why don't we just cut your hair? We'll do it virtually. We'll cut your hair before you even start chemo. And chemo was determined to be the first week of January. And I thought I was going to do chemo on the 3rd of January and be back to work January 6th. That was my first day back to work. And I was like, okay, good. I've got enough days to recover and blah, 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 blah. Well, then it ended up that January 3rd wasn't happening. It was January 5th. And I was supposed to go to work on January 6th. And I was like, oh, oh God. Um, I I don't know that I can do this. And, you know, for somebody like me, who's such what I consider to be very dependable and responsible. And when I show up, you know that I'm going to deliver a job and I'll pick up the the pieces that other people are dropping. Mm Mm-hmm. And I knew that I couldn't know what that was going to be like. I knew at that moment, I was going to have to think twice about showing up for work. And I remember having a discussion with Randy and he's like, babe, this isn't, this isn't, you don't, you don't need to defend it. If you can't work, you're not working. And he gave me the first real freedom to make that decision in a way that I felt safe and that I felt, okay, I can give myself, but, but also to the point where the people I was working with, thankfully, because I was on a big movie that I had wanted to work with this team for a long time this one, the department head, and then the other people I was working with through commercials and other projects, all these people I really adored. Like I was really in a sweet spot with the kind of people that I drew in. Right, wouldn't you know it? Yeah, 
Yeah. Just like, are you effing kidding me right now? Fucking kidding me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm turning on my heater. I'm, I'm just, I'm yeah. here. Turning on yeah. my heater. Yeah. And um, each and every one of these people couldn't have been more gracious mm-hmm. and couldn't have given me more love and support. And just were like, whenever you're ready, you can come back. We'll always work together, all the things. And I also think that to the point of, because I was so authentic, transparent and honest, and I didn't side, you know, I wasn't shady. I wasn't making up excuses. I was really direct about my situation that they really appreciated my authenticity and therefore I think it created more trust and respect to build relationships even deeper and further and going forward because they knew that I was they were I mean again I can't speak for them but my sense was they knew that they were dealing with somebody that they'd want to be doing business with even though right now I was not in the position to do that. So getting back to the hair part, (laughs) Louise and I, Louise Anthony and I thought, okay, well, we'll cut my hair the weekend before my first chemo treatment. Well, when I mentioned to a bunch of people, and I don't mean a bunch, an immediate, you know, Mm -hmm. immediate, group of people that I was going to cut my hair before my first chemo treatment it was dumbfounding everybody's like well why, why are you going to cut your hair what what why are you going to cut your hair before you even get chemo you don't know what's going to happen maybe your hair will stay you don't know you could be the anomaly you could be well each person was like whoa are you attached to my hair more than I'm attached to my hair <laughs> like it was really a moment of like wow people like okay okay well maybe I shouldn't cut my hair right now so we didn't and you know I've always done my own hair for most of my life I cut it if I color it I'm the one who colors it so it's very um it's a form of meditation for me. So I don't, I, I kind of just take, I just self, I'm just take care of myself. So we didn't do it the first weekend. And then I have chemo. And then we were supposed to cut it that next weekend. And that Sunday after chemo, oh, I was not in good shape. I was dizzy. I nearly collapsed coming out of the shower. I nearly collapsed. As a matter of fact, our dog walker was coming over because Randy was working. And I thought he was going to find me on the floor in the bedroom, like maybe or maybe not wrapped in a towel. Right. And I was horrified because I, I mean, I thought I was going to black out. And um, so naturally, we didn't cut my hair that weekend. And then the next weekend, we were going to cut my hair since every three weeks with treatment and my hair was looking so fucking beautiful like it was going into this ah like kind of stage (laughs) like I don't know what was happening like I was looking better and healthier and yet I had this poison in me and 
um, Louise and I were supposed to get together again virtually. And I was like, man, and she, you know, like my hair just like is like on point. What the fuck? And she's like, let's not cut it. Let's just hold out. And I was told that I would lose my hair within 10 days to two weeks after the first chemo treatment. So it was just like, I was waiting to like wake up and it was just like going to be off my head. On the pillow, in the shower, on the pillow. Who knew? Yeah, who knows? I'd, yeah. I'd heard every story possible. Sure. Yeah. And so I stories. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and so I was dealing with it very gently. I didn't like, you know, pull. I like was very like when I shampoo it, I was very like gentle <laughs> with it. You know, <laughs> like yeah. don't rock and, the boat. Uh, don't rock the yeah. <laughs> and um it was in the fourth, it was in the week going into the second chemo treatment that I was working out. And I felt in the nape of my head down here, like there, it was, it was like binding itself. It was like, you know, bed head, like knots. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I gotta, I gotta brush. And I don't brush my hair. It's a rarity that I brush my hair. I was like, mm -hmm. well, I, I gotta, I'm gonna have to brush that out so it doesn't get like worse. And I sit down to brush my hair. And I'd never, in all the work I've done with hair, on humans, on wigs, period. And I didn't play with dolls when I was a little girl, so I couldn't have given two shits about that. Mm -hmm. I was like, there was hair coming out of the brush, and there's hair coming out of the brush, and there's more hair coming out of the brush. And I was like, I'd never visually witnessed this. And I was just looking and I was just like, what? And yet there's all this hair still on my head. And so I was really like, what the fuck? So I decided to braid my hair so it couldn't get tangled. Right. And right. I even took a photograph of my braid. And I'd photographed my hair quite a bit before like right before chemo started during chemo and during that period because I really want to document it because I thought well what if I do need a wig or I wanted a wig I wanted to make sure that you know and everybody was like oh now you can free to do all the different things I'm like man I'm not showing up with purple hair I'm not <laughs> showing up with an a-line you know what? 1980s do I'm just not doing it <laughs> yeah asymmetrical I'm not I've done it all I mean I've cut it done it delivered it done it all that's not right. what I'm doing yeah um and so I put this braid in and um, it ended up that in the middle of the night, I found that like, I couldn't sleep with this braid and it wasn't tight, but I just couldn't sleep with it. So I undid it and I woke up the next morning. Okay, boom, boom, boom. Well, within that day or so that those, those knots started happening again. So there I go back. And I start brushing, brushing, and all this hair is coming out of the brush. Long, beautiful strands of hair. Mm -hmm. 
but there's still all this hair on my head. So I'm not, there's no bald spots. There's no, and you're there's feeling, no, you're, do you, did you feel it leaving your head or it's just like you're brushing your hair and you have a, a brush full of hair, full of hair, but, but it, you, did you, does it, I don't know what, what am it I was asking? Literally just hair. Did you in the brush. feel it? Did you feel it coming out of your head? No. No. And that was what was so weird. I did not feel it coming out of my head. It was just long strands of healthy hair coming right. off in the brush. Right. And you know, like the hair was like this long. Right. And um, and so at that point, I decided that I'm going to do all these different braids all around my head yeah and keep it in sections so when it came time to cut it they were already in sections but that they were braided right and this way so again they couldn't get tangled but what was happening behind the scenes was my head was creating its own kind of tension headache mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I couldn't figure out like what was happening is this a side effect of chemo what well in the middle of the night I woke up with such a tension headache and as if my hair was going <laughs> how did I describe it it was like being in the middle of the sea in a dinghy and and there's like eight men and there's not enough room going hold on mate we're about to get swung over the boat, you know, and if you don't hold on, you're, you know, like in an abandoned ship kind of. <laughs> Very short. I had to take out the braids because it was just so much tension. I woke up the next morning and I had three Bob Marley Rastafarian nests. That what was happening was my hair was binding to itself while it was releasing the papilla, mother papillas from my scalp. Right, right. And going into this whole tension, like, hold on, mate. Yeah, we're about right. to fall off. If you don't right. grab on, you're going to lose it. <laughs> and I was like, I woke up with these bird's nests, like three bird's nests. And I was like, holy shit, I love reggae music, but what the fuck has just happened to my beautiful... And I literally took these three bird's nests and I bound them up on my head and I put like a little like clip. And all of a sudden I was like in the 1800s and it was like the females that like probably never got to bathe and had God knows what bacteria and bugs and all sorts of shit and that's why their hairdos look like that and that's what my hair looked like and I remember I was like I had a podcast to do with a friend and I was and I had put a scarf on my head and the first thing I said to her so today's we're going to be doing Fiddler on the Roof <laughs> <laughs> and it was my boarding school mate and she was just like, well, of course you are, because you do theater. And I was like, oh, come on, I'm not that dramatic. And she was like, no, but I would accept that you're in costume. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll accept that answer. But as we're like doing the interview, I'm like, like, it's just getting to me. And 
I kept texting Louisa going, all right, this is the transformation that's happened. At some point, we've got to release. Well, it was her mom's like, forgive me, Louisa, because I don't remember her mom's age. If it was 91, 95. It was some very special birthday that I had no space to interrupt the process. Right. But my head was like, get this fucking hair off. Like, like my, my gut was saying, if I release this hair, this tension headache will go away. And I never was somebody to like, the last time I had a really short haircut was in college when I was Mm -hmm. wearing like camouflage and I was like the the least, the least feminine looking possible in that moment. The eighties, the eight, right? It was the eighties. It was, yes, the, it was. 80s. Good it was the 80s. Good old 80s. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so I um I texted her and I <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I texted I texted her and I was like, I think I have got to cut my hair today or tonight. And she was like, and I said, and I know that we've been walking and talking to this process for like the last four or five weeks. I don't think you, I can you've wait. Now two sets of chemo, right? I had not yet gone through the second. I was okay, about so all the, to. All the effect of the first chemo. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So this was a Tuesday before the Thursday that I was supposed to go in for chemo. Okay. For the second round. Right. And it ended up that that night I walked into my studio and I went, okay. And Randy was at work. And that was the other thing I asked him, do you want to be there when I cut my hair? Because I was like, you know, prepare yourself. I don't want you to show up. And all of a sudden I'm without hair. I want you to be able to like witness this so you can emotionally go through this. If this is an emotional attachment, like I don't want you to showing, showing up at home. And sure. Girlfriend has like just gone from like long fuckable hair to bird's <laughs> nest to nothing. <laughs> like. <laughs> I'm just giving you the opportunity to like say what what's good for you. <laughs> and he's like, whatever you need to do, don't worry. I I already my I'm mentally prepared. And I'm like, okay. And Louise was, you know, she couldn't be present and I and I respected that. So I went into the studio and I went to get my clippers. And I went to take my clippers. And I remember thinking, stay two inches off the scalp just to give space well my clippers couldn't even engage because the bird's nests were so like just like so dense so bound and I was like well this is ironic I thought I said I went from let's cut your hair before this whole thing starts and you can donate or you can have it as a point of reference or whatever. And now you've gone to the other extreme where basically the only thing you could donate it to is creating your own bird's nest for the birds in your front yard. Like, right. you know, the Audubon Society. <laughs> yeah, so, right. <laughs> so it ended up that um, the Clippers wouldn't go through and I was like, shit okay, grab a pair of shears. And I literally 
went into those birds nests and I had to cross dissect through like work my way through and you know shears and me are like two peas in a pod like I love to cut hair this was nothing like I had ever experienced in all the years and I've been cutting hair since 1982 so long time yeah and I as I was cutting the two inches that I gave myself grace for it was like hair filaments were like unwinding and as Mm -hmm. I got through all the mess the tension headache went away like from the final like all the tension went away it was all my hair bad and there I sat there and just was like holy holy shit and this is this was this was what this is what I had when so this is how it's been ever since it's never been so it was it was immediately it was immediately thinned or it was it it was was immediately it wasn't dense on the scalp Right. No, it was already most of it had released from the scalp on its own. And to that point, the next day, that Wednesday, I called one of the nurses from the team. Yeah. And I asked her because I told her what happened. And I said, is this something that's really normal? Because like I, you know, nobody talks about this. And she said, you know, it's ironic. She says, no, nobody does talk about it. And it's called folliculitis. And what is happening is exactly what you talked about, where the, 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 the um, strand is releasing from the papilla. And when that's happening, all of that Starts release, you can actually feel the release. And that's what I was feeling was I was feeling the release while my hair was binding, holding on to dear life, like stay in the boat, man, you know? <laughs> we're gonna pretend we got this (laughs) and I thought oh well maybe I'll show up to the second chemo treatment proving that I still have my head of hair there was no goddamn way right there was no way you did it all you were all alone and now you're sitting there with fuzz a fuzzy head a fuzzy head yeah did you cry go ahead I'm sorry did you cry a little strangely no strangely I don't remember crying but what has happened since and to your original question what has happened since is one podcast I had with my boarding school mate where she talked about like how she and her partner shaved their heads to support a friend of theirs that was going through cancer thinking that they were being supportive And then started being approached like, oh, are you sick? And she was like, no, we're not sick. And then she was like, wow, this was a really a selfish act for me to do something that I'm not going through this. And here I thought I was being supportive. Right. And other people would be like, oh, isn't it freeing? And I'd be like, no, this is not freeing. This is not something I would have chosen to do. And now I live in hats, which is what you and I were talking about that one day you and I were talking rather and I said and as we were talking the the vision came to my head 
which was the many hats that I wear and where I sat in front of the camera and I put all these different hats on because I wanted to see how do I look in all the hats that I have in my owning and it wasn't all of them, but it was many of them. And I ended up doing this art piece, so to speak, and making a public statement. And that's what I sent to you was the collage of all my hats that I wear, so to speak. Right, right, and it was right. my way of me mentally working through this new moment. Like, and even all the podcasts that I've conducted this whole time, this is the first time, though I've publicly shown myself without hair, this is the first podcast, ironically, through all my chemo treatments and everything, that I've sat here without a hat on my head. Right, right. Congratulations. Thanks. Because, you, look beautiful. you know. You look beautiful. Uh, Great head. <laughs> and, and you look healthy and you look happy. And um, yeah. Thank you. I'm not, and and weirdly enough, I was not shocked when I saw you. I think it would have been weirder to look at you with a hat on. I probably would have asked you to take it off. <laughs> I knowing knowing you, I think I would have. I probably subconsciously knew that because I knew you would want to see because we don't see each other when we talk because we're on WhatsApp right. when we talk, and right. so you know, and, and so, you know, we haven't seen each other for a very long time. I mean, I'm sitting here across from you going, you are so ravishingly gorgeous. I love seeing your face. Oh, I'm never going to accept us talking together, not seeing your face again. <laughs> just putting it okay. out there now. Well, we'll just have to, we'll just have to do it like this. Yeah. Yeah. We exactly. can via yeah, WhatsApp. We can see each other too, but yeah. sometimes it's as, you know, when you're talking and you're at the same time, you're moving, moving around, you're, you know, you're multitasking, oh, yeah. doing this, you're doing that, you're in the kitchen, and now you're doing something for the animals, and now you're outside on your new beautiful lawn, and you know how, you know how it goes, so. Um, 100%. Yeah. But I would have, I would have asked you to, um, to take off your hat. So you're going to have to tune in because next week is another juicy half of this conversation. And um, I mean, the truth is, is Marie could and I could have continued on for another three and a half hours of conversation. So join us next week where we have the remainder of this conversation continue and I look forward to you sharing, joining, subscribing, and being a part of the Camp Fifi Uncensored podcast community because it's conversations like this where we love to join around the campfire and create connections and conversations that people really are yearning for and don't even know it. And it's when we sit down with my guests that the realization and the light bulb moments that go off and the joy and the can't believe that two, three, four hours have gone by. That is exactly what's happening here and why we love doing this. So come next week and hear and listen more and join us on YouTube and hear all the content and our libraries and all listening platforms. We're just so loving sharing this information and entertaining you with all these kind of interviews. So pull up a chair, grab that cannoli, and keep joining us. 
Much love. Bye for now.